Hare Krishna everyone, dear devotees, welcome back to the daily readings of Srila Prabhupada's books. Um, we're happy to uh, welcome Bhakti Eden back for another day before he goes back up to London. Or maybe you're going to stay longer? Perhaps. He's getting, he's getting, he's getting the hang of it over here. <clears throat> okay. Mm. Srimad Bhagavata Mahima Stotra by Srila Sanatana Goswami. Five prayers glorifying the Srimad Bhagavatam. And I believe that maybe the nicest, succinct glorification of the Bhagavatam in one place you can find. It goes like this Sarva Shastrabdipi Yusha <coughs> Sarva Vedaika Satpala Sarva Siddhanta Ratnaja Sarva, sarva Lokaika Drik Prada O nectar from the ocean of all scriptures, singular fruit of all the Vedas, <coughs> rich mine of the precious gems of all conclusive truths, you are the only giver of sight to all the worlds. Sarva Bhagavata Prana Srimad Bhagavata Prabho Kalidvandodita Ditya Sri Krishna Parivartita O life heir of all the Supreme Lord's devotees, O Master Srimad Bhagavatam, you are the sun risen in the darkness of Kali. You are the exact image of Sri Krishna. Paramananda Pataya Prema Varshakshadayate Sarvada Sarvasevyaya Sri Krishnaya Namostume I bow down to you who are supremely blissful to read. Your every syllable pours down a flood of prema. You can always be served by everyone. You are Sri Krishna Himself. Madeka Bando Matsangin Madgudoman Mahadana Manistadagamad Bhagya Mad Ananda Namostute My only friend, <clears throat> my constant companion, my spiritual master, my great wealth, my savior, my good fortune, my source of ecstasy, I bow down to you. Asadu Sadutadayin Adini Chuchatakara Hanamun Chagadachin Mam Premna Rit Kantayokspura O bestower of saintliness to the unsaintly, O exalter of the most fallen, please never leave me. Always appear in my heart and my voice with pure love. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So now we're just in the middle of the Rasayan section where Prikshit Maharaj is explaining or taking taking verses from the Brahmi Sangita and the Srimad Bhagavatam that detail the glories of uh, Goloka Vrindavan and the Brajavasis. It is called the Rasyan section because it's very detailed and the, the commentaries 
by Sanatana Goswami will take us deep into the subjects. We're starting with text 103, chapter 7, part 2 of Bhagavatamrita. Prapancham nishprapancho pi vidang bhayasi bhutale prapana janatantat janatananda sandoham pratitum prabho My dear Master, although you have nothing to do with material existence, you come to this earth and imitate material life just to expand the varieties of ecstatic enjoyment for your surrendered devotees. Commentary Krishna might explain that he comes to Braja not only to enjoy pastimes with his devotees but also to become their relative. In this way, by imitating the ways of material life, he intends to increase the ecstasy of his devotees. But Brahma thinks that merely putting on a super, superficial show of being his son or other family member is not enough to absolve his debt to the Brajabhasis. Or else, Brahma's statement, if, re, if reinterpreted as a rhetorical question, asks whether Krishna is becoming the son or other relative of the Brajabhasis on earth, isn't a fact isn't in fact an illusion, a false show. The answer Brahma implies is, of course not. Krishna proves the seriousness of his intentions. He shows that he intends to enlighten, not delude, by, display, by, by displaying before Mother Yashoda his universal form, and in other ways, revealing to his devotees his identity as the Supreme Lord. And, and not only the Brajavasis, but anyone who comes in contact with Krishna is relieved of material delusion, for Krishna cannot hide his true nature from his devotees. Krishna comes to the earth to share with his devotees the highest degrees of ecstasy, whereas on other planets like Swarga, the corresponding exchanges, such as those between Aditi and her son Vamanadeva, are hampered by over-awareness of his supremacy. If even in Brajabhumi Krishna were known to be God, then how would he ever repay his debt to the Brajabhasis? His attempts to bestow the highest ecstasy on them would be frustrated, just as on Swargaloka. By Krishna's inconceivable potencies, devotees who dedicate themselves fully to Krishna, who abandon themselves to the control of Krishna Prema, lose all attachment to material things. They then give up the main causes of delusion, their family entanglements, and the affection for relatives and friends. But although Krishna's association makes material life dissolve, Brahma tells Krishna, for certain very special devotees, you create an illusion, Vidang Bayasi, 
by, by increasing their attachments and desires. Thus, you, O Krishna, are, who are Prabhu, capable of doing anything, expand the vast ocean of ecstasy for your devotees on earth, something you never do in Vaikuntha. Krishna's fully surrendered devotees <clears throat> accept all their worldly assets as his Mahaprasad and maintain their attachments only for his sake. Thus their possessions and attachments which fill them with the variegated sweetness of Bhajanananda, the supreme bliss of pure devotional service, do nothing but enhance their spiritual lives. What can Krishna do for such exalted devotees? He can only remain in debt to them. Text 104 Jananta eva janantu kim bahuktya name priyo manaso vapusho vacho vaibhavam tavagochchadaha there are, there are people who say, I know everything about Krishna. Let them think that way. As for me, I do not wish to speak very much about this matter. O oh my Lord, let me say this much. As far as your opulences are concerned, they are all beyond the reach of my mind, body, and words. Commentary <clears throat> There are three ways to understand the purpose of this statement by Brahma. First, he is declaring the unimportance of jnana and the superiority of bhakti. Second, he began his prayers by fo focusing on the supreme object of praise, namely the transcendental form of the personality of Godhead. As his prayers went on, he digressed to deal with various doubts and now, having solidly justified his aim of glorifying Krishna's opulences, he is re returning to his original topic. Or third, after drinking from the vast nectar ocean of the glories of the Supreme Lord and the Brajvasis, Brahma cannot help but laugh at those who think they know those glories. According to the first of these understandings, Brahma here addresses the seekers of knowledge. He ironically encourages them to pursue that goal if that is what they want. He has no desire to argue with them or spend any more time proving bhakti more important than jnana. He wants only to state that the unlimited, inconceivable greatness of pure devotion to Krishna lies beyond the scope of his body, mind, and words. And he implies, compared to bhakti, mere knowledge and whatever achievable with the help of that knowledge are of limited value. And whatever is achievable with the help of that knowledge are of limited value. In the second understanding, we hear Brahma call Krishna Prabhu, a word derived from the verb prabhu to manifest 
in an exceptional way. The idea is that Krishna has appeared as the perfection of all beauty and all other attractive qualities, unequaled by anyone else. Thus, the physical opulence of Krishna's beauty is both incomprehensible to Brahma's mind and indescribable by his words. Or, reading the grammar another way, the opulences of Krishna's body, mind and words are all unexcelled. And just as the intent of Krishna's mind and words are unpredictable, so are his physical activities. According to the third understanding, because Brahma's prayers repeatedly refer to the glories of the Brajabhasis, here his statement can be understood to be a glorification of their opulences. O Prabhu, possessor of unlimited various energies, the glories of these residents of Braja are beyond the reach of my body, mind and words. Even while Brahma physically composes the words of the Vedic literature, he cannot mentally grasp the extent of the greatness of the Brajabhasis. Brahma is the Supreme Lord's Guna Avatar. As such, he has a transcendental body endowed with all potencies. One should expect him then to be able to comprehend these glories somehow or other. But the fact is that he cannot. For this purpose, the powers of his body, mind and words are insufficient. Text 105 Anuja nihimam Krishna sarvam tvam vetsi sarvadrik tvam eva jagatam nato jagach chaitak tvarpitam My dear Krishna, I now humbly request permission to leave. Actually, you are the knower and seer of all things. Indeed, you are the Lord of all the universes, and yet I offer this one universe unto you. Commentary Now that Brahma's prayers have evoked the Lord's mercy, Brahma's first false conception of being Lord of the universe has been erased and he has achieved the priceless treasure of utter humility. Thus he considers himself unfit to stay near the Brajabhasis very long. Fearing he might commit more offenses, he requests permission to return to his own home. Krishna knows everything, including his own greatness and the fallen condition of persons like Brahma. Brahma, therefore, Realizing his inability to offer prayers to Krishna properly, asks to be allowed to leave. This verse can also be understood as Brahma's reply to a potential request from Krishna that Brahma further describe the glories of Krishna's beauty and other qualities of devotional service to him and of his devotees who reside in Braja. Anticipating such a request from the Lord, <clears throat> Brahma asks in astonishment whether Krishna actually knows everything 
about his own glories or not. By asking such a question, Brahma implies that Krishna, although supposedly omniscient, doesn't know his own endless glories in full. Or understanding this verse another way, Krishna might ask Brahma why he now wants to leave just after praying for any birth in Vraja. Why not simply stay here and delight Krishna's ears with more descriptions of Vraja's glories? Brahma answers that Krishna, knowing everything, knows that it will be difficult for Brahma in his present four-headed body to stay in Vraja and very difficult for him to change that body before his destined to Pararja life is finished. Thus Krishna knows that Brahma in his present life will not get the opportunity to bathe in the dust of the feet of the residents of Braja. And Krishna knows how embarrassing it would be for Brahma to try to describe the glories of those great devotees, a task for which Brahma is altogether unfit. Moreover, Krishna himself is so much in debt to the Brajabhasis that he is totally under their control. Their loving devotion alone attracts him and he dislikes spending even a moment doing anything else than indulging them with his pleasure pastimes. Certainly Krishna, the only source of happiness for Braja, knows all this. So why should Brahma stay just to tell Krishna what he already knows? <laughs> Or Krishna may be asking Brahma why he submitted prayers without fully considering the complexities of his request. After all, isn't Brahma the creator of the universe? Shouldn't he know everything? No, Brahma answers. Only you are omniscient. The knowledge of lesser persons like me is limited. Or, taking the word sarvadrik to mean one who makes everyone see, who gives all living beings their ability to perceive, Brahma prayed only as inspired by Krishna, the Lord of his heart. Whatever Brahma said, therefore, is not to his own credit or blame. Any credit deserved for these prayers belongs to the Lord, who inspired them. And if there is anything wrong with the prayers, their puppet-like speaker should not be blamed. Krishna certainly knows all this very well. Krishna might retort that what Brahma says is true for a mere servant, but Brahma is much more than a servant. Brahma is the Lord of the universe. No, Brahma replies, you, Krishna, are Jagannath, the real Lord of the universe. Neither Brahma nor any jiva, any other jiva, should be called the Lord of the universe. Everyone is Krishna's servant. Still, Krishna might ask, Am I the Lord of the universe? You are the grandsire of the entire visible cosmos, and its rulers are your sons and grandsons and their descendants. How then are you my servant? Brahma, using the word arpita, to mean placed within, answers this question by saying that since the whole universe is within Krishna, 
tava arpitam, all creation is subordinate to him. Or taking tavarpitam to mean placed by you, it is only because Krishna skillfully placed the universe under Brahma's authority that the universe seems to be Brahma's. In case anyone is wondering why it took so long for anyone to translate the commentary of Sanatana Goswami, it should be dawning, dawning on him by now. It's so deep, no one had the knowledge of the Sanskrit sufficiently, the knowledge of the English sufficiently, and the knowledge of the culture and philosophy sufficiently to do it. Until my dear friend Gopi Pranadana Prabhu did it first time. <clears throat> Brahma answers, of course, everyone is naturally your servant, subordinate to your control. But a servant with pure love for you in one of Bhakti's special forms has a super-excellent status. Such a position rarely achieved is something everyone should strive for. And because service to you in pure love cannot be achieved without complete surrender, I surrender everything I have unto you. Saying this, Brahma offers the universe he considers his own and the body he considers himself all to Krishna. And he offers his prayers hoping they will please Krishna. Everything that exists belongs to Lord Jagannath and is known to him. But that same Lord has directed Brahma from within. Thus inspired, Brahma, like an infant bird chewing again, what its mother has already chewed, offers this universe together with his personal realizations, hoping that Krishna will accept this offering like a kind parent and excuse him for requesting something impossible. Daddy, give me the moon. Mommy, give me the moon. Here, take this mirror. Oh, here, there it is. I've got it now. Text 106. Kri-shri-krishna-vrishni-kula-pushkara-josha-dayin-chmad-nirjada-dvijapashu-dadi-riddhikarin-udharmasarvada-hada-chitirakshasadrug-akalpam-arkam-arhan-bhagavan-nama
brahmanas and animals. And he is like both the sun and moon because he counteracts the darkness of irreligion. Just as by appearing on the earth, Krishna checks the power of rakshasas like Kangsa. Having said all that, Brahma reconsiders. Comparing Krishna to the sun and moon fails to do him full justice. Thus Brahma comments further that Krishna deserves the worship of everyone, including the sun, Ak Arkham. And finally Brahma offers his obeisances unto Krishna and promises to continue bowing down the same way until the end of the millennium, Akalpam, which lasts the full length of his day. Thus by chanting Lord's holy names, thus by chanting Krishna's holy names with great devotion, and by summarizing the manifold purposes of Krishna's descent on earth, Brahma, in his last prayer, offers the best glorification he can muster. Krishna's birth in the Vrishti dynasty brought with it all signs of promise for the world's good fortune. Just as the rising sun drives away the darkness of night and awakens the sleeping lotuses, Krishna's appearance assured Vasudev and Krishna's other relatives and devotees that the demons who oppressed them would soon be destroyed. As Krishna described by Sri Shukadeva Goswami in Srimad Bhagavatam, as described by Sri Shukadeva Goswami in Srimad Bhagavatam 10.2.17, while carrying the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead within the core of his heart, Vasudeva bore the Lord's transcendentally illuminating effulgence, and thus he became as bright as the sun. He was therefore very difficult to see or approach through sensory perception. Indeed, he was unapproachable and unperceivable even for such formidable men as Kangsa, and not only Kangsa, but all living entities. Similarly, when the demigods came to glorify Mother Devaki, they tell Krishna, who is in her womb, O Lord, we are fortunate because the heavy burden of the demons upon this earth is at once removed by your appearance. Indeed, we are certainly fortunate, for we shall be able to see upon this earth and in the heavenly planets the marks of lotus, conch shell, club, and disc that adorn your lotus feet. Bhagavatam 10.2.38 The demigods also tell Devaki, O Mother Devaki, by your good fortune and ours, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Himself, with all His plenary portions, such as Baladev, is now within your womb. Therefore, you need not fear Kangsa, who has decided to be killed by the Lord. Your eternal son Krishna will be the protector of the entire Yadu dynasty. Bhagavatam 10.2.41 And while describing the conditions on the earth when Krishna was about to be born, Shukadeva says, Decorated with towns, villages, 
mines and pasturing grounds, the earth seemed all auspicious. Bhagavatam 10.3.2 Of course, when the earth prospers, everyone and everything on the earth automatically prospers, including the Adivas, the Brahmanas, and all domestic animals. But Brahma considers it his duty to highlight the significance of Krishna's special compassion for the cows and Brahmanas in this avatar. Pure love for Krishna was bestowed upon Brahma by Krishna himself. For this, Brahma next expresses his gratitude. Uddharma can be understood to mean the higher principles of religion, or in other words, the obligations of individual religious duties. By manifesting the Rasalila and other pastimes, Krishna removed the gopis' ignorance and fear, along with the dark night time of such restrictive dharma. When Brahma offers this prayer, Krishna's conjugal pastimes with the gopis have not yet taken place. But Brahma knows past, present and future, and so speaks of these pastimes as if they have already occurred. Or we can take the meaning of udharma in another way. The prefix ud can mean away from. So uddharma denotes false principles that take one away from dharma or religion. Real religion is devotional service to Krishna. In Srimad Bhagavatam 11, 19.27, Krishna himself says, Dharmo mad bhakti krit prokta. True religious principles, it is said, are those that lead one to my devotional service. Uddharma, therefore, is whatever deviates from true dharma, pure devotional service to Krishna, whether the deviation be by jnana, karma, or anything else. Although the dharma of pure bhakti is eternal and inviolable, it is sometimes hidden like a lost treasure sitting deep in a cave, unnoticed even by visitors of the cave, because extraneous objects cover it from view. All deviant religious methods then are forms of darkness, but Krishna's appearance has driven them all away. By descending to earth, Krishna has brought back to the day, light of day the perfect religion of devotion to Him. Like Rakshasas, who roam at night and eat men, persons who move about in the darkness of deviant dharma try to obstruct the path of bhakti, on which every living being depends for his eternal welfare. These deviants, karmis and jnanis, mostly li live on planet earth, also known as karma bhumi. And so Brahma refers to Krishna as chiti rakshasadruk, the valiant opponent of such rakshasas on earth. Also present on earth are other rakshasas, namely enemies of the Vishnis and enemies of other devotees of the Lord. Enemies like Kangsa and his cohorts and demons like Shankachuda and Arishta who disturbed Krishna's rasa dance and other pastimes. Krishna displays many wonderful feats in which he destroys all these demons. 
as Brahman indicates by the word arhan, deserving, only Krishna is capable of performing such deeds in the defense of eternal religion. In his expanded forms of Godhead, Krishna may possess the same complete potencies, but only Krishna himself reveals the ultimate extent of his supreme powers. Thus, he is the right person to perform pastimes for the deliverance of the earth, pastimes never shown even by Lord Narayana or any of his incarnations. <clears throat> by acting as an enemy of relatives like his maternal uncle Kangsa, Krishna seems to oppose the religious principles and duties prescribed by the Vedas for pious men. And this may cause some doubts. Brahma, however, denies the validity of such doubts by referring to Krishna as Bhagavan, the all-merciful Lord. Krishna acts as he does solely for the benefit of everyone, even his antagonists. Although persons dedicated to karma and jnana harbor within themselves the nature of demons, Krishna deals with them in a way that rectifies their miserable asuric mentality. And to the most vicious demons like Kangsa, Krishna is even more merciful. To them, he gives liberation by killing them with his own hands. Srila Sridhar Swami in his commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam gives another explanation of the words Arhan Bhagavan Namaste. You deserve the worship of everyone because now even those who were dedicated to karma and jnana, persons like Akrura and Bhishma, have entered the path of bhakti. Avowed demons like Kangsa have also resorted to your devotional service by absorbing themselves in thought of you in moods like fear. While these demons inwardly meditated upon you as their enemy, externally they were unable to exercise their natural demonic, demonic propensities and so became inactive like dead men. By killing them, you brought them back to life and gave them liberation. Krishna even while the killing of Kangsa and other demons is yet to happen, Brahma feels free to describe such events as if they had already occurred. Had Krishna never performed such feats of delivering the non-devotees, Brahma implies, Krishna would not be worshipable by everyone. As Brahma, drowning in a sweet ocean of Premarasa, prepares to leave Praja, he offers his homage not only to Krishna, but to all the Vrajabhasis. The least important of all species of trees growing in Braja is the Arka. Vaishnavas have little regard for that tree because it produces nothing useful for the Supreme Lord's service. Yet Brahma's obeisances to everyone in Braja extend even to the Arka trees. Brahma says, I bow down to you, Krishna, 
and to everyone living in your abode, whether moving or non-moving. These final words match the mood of his earlier prayer, Tad Bodhi Bhagyam Yajan Matkim Apyatavyam. I would consider it my greatest fortune to take birth whatsoever in this forest. Bhagavatam 10.14.34 In effect, Brahma says, because all the residents of this forest, even the architrees, are better devotees of Krishna than I, they deserve my homage. <clears throat> I have no right to expect a birth here like any of them. I should pray for less ambitious blessings. O oh, all-wonderful Krishna, I can never offer adequate obeisances to you. Text 107 Sadaya balo kair, kop yon tadena bujayor, apiyat sprihas shrihi. This earth has now become most fortunate because you have touched her grass and bushes with your with your with your feet, and her trees and creepers with your fingernails, and because you have graced her rivers, mountains, birds, and animals with your merciful glances. But above all, you have embraced the young cowhood women with your two, between your two arms, a favor hankered after by the goddess of fortune herself. Commentary After reciting for his mother the prayers in which Lord Brahma glorifies Brajabhumi and its residents in a general way, Maharaj Pariksit now result, recites this verse, Bhagavatam 10.15.8 Spoken by Krishna to his elder brother, Balaram. Here Krishna praises Balaram as the most glorious person and also describes in brief the extreme good fortune of the other Brajabhasis. Krishna in his Poganda age wandered all over the area of Vrindavan tending, his cow, tending the cows. It gave him great pleasure to see the exalted qualities of the, of the people, animals, and non-moving beings. Eager to say something about the excellence of life in Vrindavan, but reluctant to praise himself, Krishna decided to direct his comments toward Lord Balaram. By thus showing respect to his elder, he set a good example to follow. And we can understand that everything Krishna says about his brother is also applicable to Krishna himself. The planet Earth has been engaged in the service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead since time immemorial. Countless incarnations and empowered representatives of Krishna <clears throat> have graced her with their presence. In the distant path, in the distant past, Krishna's Leela avatar Varahadev lifted the earth from the darkness of Patalaloka and accepted her as his wife. Lord Anantashesha bears her perpetually upon one of his hoods. But, on, but only now, 
with the appearance of Krishna in his original form, has Mother Bhumi become supremely fortunate. The word danya most obviously means fortunate, but as the English word fortunate is connected with the word fortune, the Sanskrit word danya is connected with the word dana, meaning wealth. The greatest possible wealth is religious merit, dharma, and the highest dharma is prema bhakti. In Srimad Bhagavatam 11.19.37 and 27, Lord Krishna says, has said, Dharma is the most desirable wealth of mankind. Dharma ishtam dhanam pumsam. And actual religious principles are said to be those that lead one to my devotional service. Dharmo mad bhakti krit prokta. In other words, with Krishna's appearance, the earth has gained the opulence of pure love of God, which relegates the four ordinary goals of human endeavor to insignificance. Krishna describes the prosperity of the earth in detail. Her plants, bushes and grass are much more fortunate than those of Swarga and the other higher planets because the Supreme Lord having descended to the earth in Sri Mathura in the role of a cowherd boy in the cowherd village of Nanda Maharaj is touching those plants, bushes and grass with his feet. The plant life of the earth previously obtained the touch of Lord Ramachandra's feet, especially during his exile in the Dandaka forest and elsewhere. But only now that Krishna and Balaram have appeared has the vegetation of the earth become most extremely fortunate. What Krishna is saying may sound like a very general praise of the earth, but while speaking, he points to the plants, bushes, and grass of Vrindavan, to whom his glorification is actually directed. <clears throat> Particularly during his Pogondalila, the land of Vrindavan has become most fortunate, for he displays his pastimes of tending the cows all over Vrindavan and makes known the unique rasas of this time of his life. Even more fortunate than the plants, bushes and grass are the trees and creepers of Vrindavan. For Krishna to pick their fruits and flowers and take their leaves, twigs and so on for decorating his body touches them with his hands. And more fortunate still are the rivers like Sri Yamuna, the mountains like Sri Govardhan, the, bee, the birds like the peacocks, and the wild animals like the black deer, for Krishna favors all of them by his merciful glances. It is true that Krishna casts his glance over Vrindavan, glances all over Vrindavan, but the good fortune of the rivers, mountains, birds and forest animals is described here as special because of the special pleasure <clears throat> Krishna enjoys from drinking and bathing in the waters of the rivers, climbing the mountain peaks and resting in the caves of the mountains and playing with the birds and animals 
in wonderful ways. By associating with the best of rivers, Krishna's most beloved Yamuna, and the best of mountains, Giri Govardhan, who is the foremost servant of Lord Hari, the other rivers and mountains in Vrindavan obtain Krishna's favor. The birds and beasts of Vrindavan, who by the nature of their birth have little opportunity to be at the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord, derive their good fortune mostly from his glance. And he also shows his mercy to the birds and animals by calling out to them, by picking up their feathers, by touching them, and by other kinds of gentle dealings. Krishna's lotus feet touch the trees and creepers of Imbraja, but it is, it is the surface of the earth that becomes marked with his beautiful and auspicious footprints. Therefore, the good fortune of being touched by Krishna's feet belongs especially to the earth. The grass, bushes, and low-growing plants also have ample opportunities to be touched by Krishna's feet, a privilege seldom given to the trees and higher plants. But of course, the cows and cowherds of Braja have the greatest opportunities to associate with Krishna. Although the cows and young cowherd boys who tend, with Krish, tend them with Krishna and Balaram are not explicitly mentioned in this verse, they are, far by more, they are by far more fortunate than the plants and other animals. Most fortunate of all, however, are the gopis, whose hearts are always drawn to Krishna. Just as Krishna, by glorifying the earth, is actually glorifying only the land of Braja. So by mentioning the gopis, he is referring, referring only to the cowherd girls of Braja, not the gopis of any other place. The goddess Sri cannot have the good fortune of the gopis of Braja, but can only aspire for it as a distant goal. The gopis, favored by the embrace of Krishna's arms, are more fortunate than the birds and animals he glances upon, the trees and creepers he touches with his hands, and the grass, plants and bushes he touches with his feet. As indicated at the end of the verse by the word api also, the gopis also receive the same opportunities as all the others. Krishna also touches the gopis with his feet and hands and glances at them very mercifully. But in addition, the gopis receive the good fortune of Krishna's embrace. In Vrindavan, therefore, the gopis are certainly Krishna's most favored devotees. Hare Krishna. So that's a little over 8 o'clock now. We'll stop the reading for tonight. I know it goes very fast. These, these readings of these purports, they go very fast. But that leaves more for us to hear tomorrow. <laughs> right? Right. And we'll start up tomorrow at text 108, auspicious. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ready for reflections?
from <coughs> from Noel. Bhakti Noel. Bhakti Noel. Hare Krishna, dear Maharaj, please accept my humble obeisances of glories to Srila Prabhupada. From Gopakanya Devidasi. Hare Krishna, dear Maharaj, and our friends, Jai Sri Brihad Bhagavatam. Jai Gopakanya Devidasi Ji Jai Ho. Oglaise to you and your dear spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, the savior of the Kali Yuga Jivas. Yes, thank you very much for that. He's delivering all of us. Hmm. He did what no one else could do. He, Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda left it to him. Bhakti Saranda Saraswati Thakur left it to him. Ratimanjai said, Jai Guru Maharaj. Haribo Rati. Laura Pauline said, Ocean of Devotion. Hare Krishna. Brajvalaba. Hey Braja, Haribo. Please accept my humble obeisances or grace to Srila Prabhupada. It is very mind blowing to hear the advanced humility skills of Lord Brahma. Mm. Can't imagine his humility given as you read it. Mm. As you read, it only seems to be Brahma's. Mm. Yeah, well, he's attained by that experience of having tested Krishna and then seen Krishna's opulence and how much greater it is than his. He's getting blessed by Lord Krishna by the uh, essential prerequisite for pure prema, which is dhanya, which we heard about later, earlier on, utter humility. Yeah, that's inconceivable. All of the appreciation of Krishna depends on the acceptance of his inconceivability, his inconceivable energy. Once you get it into your, by hearing about Krishna in all those different ways, once it sinks in just how great he is, then you can see beyond that to the fact that how he takes care of his devotees and is controlled by his, some of his devotees is his greatest opulence. And then the other opulence just kind of dissipates and kind of goes away. Then one can go to Vrindavan, to Braj and Goloka, Hare Krishna. <clears throat> From Sudevi Dasi. Hare Krishna, please accept my humble obeisances, Maharaj, mm. and glories to Gopi Paranadana. Paranadana. Yeah. Prabhu, for this mind-blowing translation and Srila Prabhupada for empowering such great soul. Yes, that's a very wonderful point. I'd like to, to speak on for a second about that. And that is, what Gopi Paranadana Prabhu did is probably the, the greatest glorification of Prabhupada. Because only a pro, uh, the greatest spiritual master could could uh, empower a disciple to do what he did. That's a fact. So this is a great glorification of Prabhupada that he did this Briya Bhagavatamrita. From Braj Vanaba. <clears throat> Hare Krishna Braj. I did not know Brahma could go to Vakunta at will. Yeah, he can, but 
He can't because he's too tied up <laughs> with his businesses of managing the material world or the universe. Hare Krishna. From Ratimanjai. Dear Guru Maharaj, please accept my respectful obeisances. Tonight I really liked to hear how pure devotees consider all their possessions as well as their family members as Krishna's Mahaprasadam. Yes. And in this way they are not entangled. Yes. What a nice vision to live by and strive for. Yes, exactly. That's how to get out of this material world. There's no other way. The family attachment is the strongest attachment. And if you're in a family where you can't be a pure devotee without getting, you know, either criticized or laughed upon or whatever, embarrassed, uh, then you have to go away from it. But if the family uh, are also devotees and you can see them as such and see them as Krishna's devotees, then there's no need to leave. But if the if the family situation does not allow it, then you have to leave. And but the Brajbasis, all the family there, they're all belonging to Krishna. We talked about this last night. Therefore, they're the, all the greatest sannyasis, the greatest renunciates, because they give up everything for Krishna. This is from Ananda Murti Devidasi. Hare Krishna, Ananda Murti. Jai Guru Dev, please accept my humble obeisances. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Thank you so much. I'm feeling so fortunate to listen all valuable explanation about the glories of Supreme Lord Sri Krishna. Jai Haribo Haribo. Even Lord Brahma cannot explain well. How can I understand well? But applicate <laughs> all of this but I applicate all of this description. Yes. Yes. According to our capacity, if we try to hear and glorify Krishna and love Krishna, then Krishna takes us. He loves all of us, whatever our capacity. From Ratimanjari. Hmm. I also like to notice the more I was listening to Lord Krishna being glorified, the more I was becoming pacified. It is so wonderful to notice that this process really works. Uh -huh. Smiley face. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It absolutely does. It just feels so right that someone so wonderful as Krishna should be praised by one and all. Yes. That is the real natural state of affairs. That's the original state of affairs. Everything else is just a cheap show bottle. Illusion. Okay, Bhakti Eden is going to give us his <laughs> his reflection. <laughs> Unless I'm putting you on the spot. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Thank Hare Krishna Bhaktivedanta. Thank you for for the reading, and uh, it's a it's a really really deep topic. That's that's what I, what I wanted to say. It's a it's deep book. It's a deep literature, and every sentence. I mean, I try to read slowly and carefully, mm. and put the emphasis on the right words to make it easier to enter into. 
But the fact is that these are so deep that you have to go back again and again and again to actually get it. That's a fact. They're very deep. And again, I bring it to the point of glorification of Gopi, Paranadana Prabhu, and Jai Dwaita Maharaj, who made it into such... I mean... Oh, let me, let me see that book. There's a very short uh, preface to this book. It's the third volume, the last volume. And here's what Gopi says. This is the preface. I would be ungrateful not to express my thanks to all the thoughtful Vaishnavas who have shared with me their words of appreciation for the first two volumes of this book. I cannot take much credit for this work. Can you imagine? Since I've only served as a middleman between Srila Sanatana Goswami, who provided the exquisite original poetry and his definitive commentary on it, and our editors, Keshava Bharti Das Goswami and Jai Dwaita Swami, who made the English almost, almost as delightful and elegant as the Sanskrit. Gopi Paranadana Das at Giriraj Govardhan, Sri Baulashtami, November 5th, 2004. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. And thanks all of you out there in cyberspace for your wonderful, as usual, the, you know, this just shows how continuous hearing over periods of time give us more capacity to hear, more capacity to understand, and more capacity to explain. And the deeper you go, the deeper your explanations become, you can yourself change the hearts of those who you speak to. And that's the goal. That's what real preaching means. It's not like the organization or the numbers we achieve or all those things. It's how the hearts of people are changed by our association. That's the goal. Shri Brihat Bhagavatam Ki Jai Samaveda Bhakta Bindaki Jai Gaur Premanandi Hari Hari Bol See you tomorrow night, same place, same time, same topic. The nectar of Krishna consciousness. Hari Bol. See you tomorrow.